Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer, as always. David, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. Excited to talk about this wild week of sports we've had. We've got a lot of NFL news, some all-star snubs as well. We're going to go ahead and get right into it after we talk about our last Black History Month athlete. And this week's athlete is... This week, excuse me, is Jackie Robinson. And Jackie Robinson was a great one to end on. Obviously, very well-known baseball player for pretty much ending the color barrier in the MLB that was there. And had a fantastic career. Hall of Famer, World Series, MVP. He has it all to go with what he's done in social justice as well. And when you look at Jackie Robinson, I just thought he was a perfect one to end with. And now moving into next month, we're going to look at Women's History Month, and we're going to look at women athletes in sports that don't get enough credit. So be on the lookout for our social media posts for those moving forward. So the first thing we're going to get into tonight is some NFL talk here. Last week, we didn't get to J.J. Watt. He got cut by the Houston Texans last week, and J.J. Watt is one of those guys that a lot of teams would want be interested in. He's a guy that's going to be a Hall of Famer up there in age now, do you still think J.J. Watt has some left in the tank? I do, and you you just said he's up there in age. He's actually only 31. He's only 31. He's He's still got time left in this league. It might not be as the dominant role that we saw early on in his career, but he's definitely going to find a spot somewhere, and I think he's going to get multiple offers. It might not be it might boil down to where does he want to go over how much money is he getting. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. And when you look at J.J. Watt, obviously he's fantastic. I think he has some left in the tank, but I am worried about him. Defensive linemen, they're not the type that's going to be able to play well into their 30s, but he's been a guy also that people have thought can, but he's dealt with a lot of injuries recently and when you look at some of those it's hurt him his last about five seasons here we've only seen him eclipse five sacks just once in his last six seasons that's worrisome for me whether it be injuries or also this season where he just wasn't as good as he once was I still think he has some left in the tank you see a lot of veterans they'll go somewhere be successful like Richard Sherman comes to San Francisco has one very successful season and then it's kind of back to average. I think that's what we'll see from J.J. Watt, but getting that on a playoff contender, that makes you instantly almost ready to win a ring right away because he's that dominant of an athlete. And when you look at some of those teams, you talked about a lot of teams going to be interested in them. What teams make sense for you? For me, it's pretty much any sort of contender is my my pick for where he's going to go, specifically the Steelers or the Packers. I think the Steelers, because both of his brothers are on that team and playing with family is a big draw for J.J. Watt. And the Packers, because he grew up in Wisconsin. I believe he was a Packers fan as a kid, but they're also a contender. And I think he wants to ri- win a ring, there we go, before he leaves. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. The Steelers is such a fun one when you talk about it, getting both of his brothers there. They're in a very tough cap situation, but if I've learned one thing from watching the NFL this long, the cap is a myth, and you can really work just about anything you want. 
And they're kind of in talks with Big Ben about getting his deal restructured. Will he be back? So they have some money to free up there. I think that makes a lot of sense. One team I'd personally love to see him on is the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills offensively are one of the most exciting teams in the NFL. And when you look at them, obviously Josh Allen is that leader, and he's the face of their offense. And Stephon Diggs, who's that face of the defense? Trey White's there. I think he's very underrated, but they need someone to be that face of the defense. And talk about veteran leadership that you can bring right in with J.J. Watt. Instantly helps your defense out. And also, if you want to beat Patrick Mahomes, if we've learned one thing from the games Patrick Mahomes has struggled in his career, the pass rush is getting to him, and it's forcing him to make quick decisions. And against the blitz, he's fantastic. You have to be able to send only four. If you want to get, if you want to make him unsuccessful, send four and have everyone else back in coverage. That really helps your chances. And if Buffalo wants to do that, adding J.J. Watt is going to help you do just that. And when you look at it, J.J. Watt, he was cut last week. It's now been about a week, week and a half since he's been cut. And just on the Twitter yesterday, he was talking about how he's in no rush. He said it takes him a little while to look through his DoorDash orders, and so it's going to take him a little bit to sign with somebody. How quick do you think we see him sign? Obviously, he can be signed at any time because he doesn't have to wait till free agency opens because he was cut. His contract was not just up. So do you think it's soon, before free agency starts, or do you think it's going to be in the mix with everyone else? I think it's going to be in the mix with everyone else or just before the draft. He's in no rush. He can go pretty much wherever he wants. So he's going to take his time and really figure out what's best for him. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that's exactly what he'll do too. I think we'll see him sign as free agency opens. It may be a couple days before free agency opens, but it could be right in that tampering window or right when you're officially allowed to sign players. I think that's when we'll see it happen because, one, I think he wants to end up in Pittsburgh. I think that's what he wants. He wants to play with his brothers. That makes a lot of sense to him. They're going to be a contender. I think that intrigues him a lot. But in order for Pittsburgh to do that, they have to address this Big Ben issue and his cap hit of $41 million this year. It's worrisome. I mean, Big Ben's not playing like he's worth $41 million anymore. So if they can find a way to fix that, then J.J. Watt walks right in. And I don't think he's going to sign with another team until he officially knows that he cannot sign with his brother's team in the Pittsburgh Steelers. I think that's one thing holding it up. It would be different if it was someone else. And if it was anybody else, not of his caliber, then yes, I think he wait, he gets signed before free agency starts because he doesn't want to be around when all these other options are out there. But when you look at edge rushers in this free agency class, he's near the top in this class. So he would instantly be able to sign with anyone, and they would be his top choice. I mean, you look at some of the edge rushers out there. It's going to be Matt Judon. Is Matt Judon on J.J. Watt's level? No. Nengakwe, is he on his level? No. So I think there's definitely going to be options for him, and he, we won't see him sign until Pittsburgh gives him an official answer, and I'm pretty sure T.J. can help out, uh, help him realize if he can sign there or not. And now, this is one topic that's been brought up quite a bit by different members of the media. Do you like how the Texans instantly granted J.J. Watt his release but then a player like Deshaun Watson, they're not giving, they're not granting him his ability to be traded. The rumor is right now, any teams that call about Watson are being told, no, we're not trading him. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that. I, I'm a 
big fan of players' rights and letting them play where they want to play. I understand that you can... The, the difference between the two, J.J. Watt is an older, kind of past-the-prime star, while Watson is has a really bright future ahead of him. But just the lack of taking offers by the Texans is my biggest problem. Yeah, it, I think it is an issue. When you look at, obviously, J.J. Watt, you talked about the age, and that is a big difference there. But Deshaun Watson's in a position where, one, he was lied to by management. He wanted to stay with the general manager, and the coach gets a say in neither. And obviously, there's there's rumors about Easterby, who's running the organization, that he's not that great to work with, and he's kind of just trying to build his own mold, and the players don't like it. And the video that came out about J.J. Watt telling Deshaun Watson after the, the season ended, I'm sorry, we're wasting your prime, it's all pretty telling to me. And with Watson, yes, it is a different situation. You're going to be taking more of a cap hit if you let him go. But at the same time, Houston is not going to be successful within the next few years. And I truly believe that, one, you have no draft picks. Two, you have no money. Your quarterback's making $40 million a year. You now have no money to spend. It's going to get worse. Right now, it's only about 10 and a half. It's going to get a lot worse in the coming years. No picks, no money. How do you build a team around Deshaun Watson? The answer is you don't. You do not have the ability to build a team around Watson. And if you trade him, I know you're getting rid of a generational quarterback, but he's now asked to be traded. He's made it well known he doesn't want to play for you. Look at the this side of it. You get, you're going to get three to four first-round picks, some other picks, players, and you're going to have a relatively better cap. Yes, you'll take a cap hit this year, but that will go away. You're not going to compete this year without Watson anyway, so that will go away. I just think, personally, the Texans would be better off trading him, and I'm a huge Deshaun Watson fan, and I know that may be a little biased of me saying Watson should get out, but I think it's the truth. Houston's future is not very bright, even with Deshaun Watson, because they can't build around him. So trading him helps you set the Texans back up and get all those picks back. And now let's say Watson does stay. J.J. Watt's gone. Does Houston even have a shot to compete next season? No, they really don't. And it's kind of sad because of how good Deshaun Watson is. If he's forced to stay, you know, there have been rumors of him, his willingness to sit out a la Le'Veon Bell. But even if he is playing, starting, doing everything he can, it's we're just going to see, like, uh, like we saw Dak Prescott with the Cowboys, just dragging them to wins because of his talent. Even with Deshaun Watson, they were the Texans were four and twelve last year. It's just going to be more of the same, and they're not going to be able to sign big free agents because they don't have the money. And the culture in that building has been described as so toxic, and it's outwardly toxic. No free agent's going to want to come there. Yeah, I I agree. I understand. They're not going to compete next season. And I personally believe, when you look at their hire, I believe his name's David Coley, he is not in a position to succeed, and he's not going to succeed. I think really what you're going to see here is he is just a transitional coach. He's going to come in. They're not going to be good. And he's going to get fired, take the blame, 
and then they're going to bring a new coach in. Because I think the way it's being built up right now is it's going to be Nick Casario's team, and he's going to bring in his coach. Obviously, he wants Coley to succeed, but he also knows it's not going to work like that. It's If they want to compete next year, it's going to take a lot of bargain bin free agents all playing themselves into monster contracts next season. That's exactly what it would take. And even at that point, they would then not be able to be re-signed, and you'd have to do it all again to compete the next year. So I personally think they're not going to compete for the next few years if they hold on to Deshaun Watson. If they trade Watson, and let's say it's with the Jets, they get up to two, or Carolina, they get up to eight, you can get that quarterback that you want. But personally, I like how we've seen Tampa Bay and Kansas City build their rosters up. I, if I'm a GM, that's the way I'm going. I'm going with the, I'm going to build this team and then bring my quarterback in last, so that he's going to be successful no matter what, because the team is already good. He's set up for success and he's going to get hyped up because they're succeeding, and he's going to naturally get better. If I'm Houston, that's what I'm doing: recouping all my picks, freeing up money, building this team up. If you do trade him to a team like the Jets, you now have the second overall pick. You can bring in a franchise tackle. You can bring in a franchise receiver. You get the top of the crop when it comes to that draft. I personally think that's their best hope to succeed in the near future. Let's see if they go that way. Now talking about another AFC South team making a big move, it's the Indianapolis Colts. They trade a third and a conditional second round pick that if Carson Wentz plays 70-75% of the snaps, will turn into a first-rounder for Carson Wentz from the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz has been a guy, he's had his struggles the last couple of years, but the Eagles have in general. When you look at Wentz and this trade to the Colts, do you think it's the right move for Indy to bring in a guy like this? I think they're in a tough spot, having two of their quarterbacks retire back-to-back. And Wentz is one of the available names they have. They and they didn't have to give up too much. It's gonna his playing time is really gonna depend on how he performs in camp, how he works with the team the Colts have in place, because they have a good team in place already. It's just can he fit in with the scheme they have in place? And I, I think he can. He's going to have better receivers, a better running back, and one of the best offensive lines in the league, as well as a fantastic defense backing him up. It's just, will he be able to return to form? Yeah, I think that's the biggest question with him, is what Carson Wentz are you getting? Obviously, the 2017 Carson Wentz that was coached by Frank Wright, the head coach of the Colts now, was very successful. 33 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. That is phenomenal numbers. 101.9 passer rating. He was great. He was on his way to being MVP. Then he tears his ACL, and we know what happens next. But you look at what he does the following seasons, 21 and then 27 touchdowns with the interceptions under 10 in those years as well. So you know what you're going to get. But then injuries come into play. And last season, I don't really hold that against Carson Wentz, to be honest. Because when I look at Carson Wentz, he's a guy that is throwing to receivers that aren't that great. When you look at his receiving core he had last year, their big, I guess you could say, trade to help him get a speed receiver is Marquise Goodwin. He opts out. 
because of the COVID, COVID and in the pandemic, he doesn't play. Probably going to be cut this year. Never going to play for the Eagles. Then their first round pick, they draft Jalen Rager. When Justin Jefferson, Brandon Ayuk, T. Higgins, Michael Pittman, the list goes on. They were still on the board. Jalen Rager, I think he has a chance to be have a good career. Do I think he's going to be as good as the guys drafted after him? No. No, I don't. And then Alshon Jeffrey. Alshon Jeffrey was really, really cool like three years ago, but he's not anymore. I mean, he's not that good of a receiver. He's going to be, he's cut, I believe, or going to be cut for the new league year stars. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside, a receiver they took in front of D.K. Metcalf. I bet they wish they had that one back. His best receiver was Travis Fulgham, who was undrafted, and Greg Ward Jr., who was a quarterback in college. That was his best two targets last season. And I just think that leads to those struggles. He felt like he had to be Superman. He had to do everything for the Eagles, and that's where you saw his injuries. Still only 28 years old. I think there's plenty of prime left with Carson Wentz. So if I'm the Colts, I like the move. Only giving up a third and possibly a second, you're not going to get a quarterback his caliber in the third round this year or the second round next year. You're just not going to. And if he plays more than 70 75% of the snaps, I think you're a successful team and then which it's fine giving up the first. So I like the move for the Colts because Frank Wright, now if he got traded somewhere else, kind of question how well it's going to work out. But I, I'm interested in the Frank Wright-Carson Wentz reunion. I think it's going to be good. And now you look at the team you talked about. They have a good team built around them. Can this team get back to the playoffs with Carson Wentz? I I believe so. Just because they did last year really kind of on the not on the back of Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers didn't have some insane transcendent season. He was just a little below average Philip Rivers. He didn't throw as many interceptions, but he didn't throw as many touchdowns either. He was just kind of average. And I think if you get that average again, you're going to be able to make the playoffs with how good your team is just surrounding your quarterback. Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100%. I think Carson Wentz, personally for me, I believe is an upgrade over Phillip Rivers last season. He had 24 touchdowns, 11 picks. I think Carson Wentz can do better that better than that with this team. You talked about the offensive line they have. Yes, their left tackle, Anthony Costanzo, retired. But that's the way the Colts have been built, is they have all these nice pieces, but they've been drafted by the Colts. They don't make many splashes. The biggest splash I can think of that they've made the last couple of years would be the DeForest Buckner trade. They trade their first-round pick for him. And he's a phenomenal defensive tackle. He's a centerpiece of your defensive line. But because they don't do that and they go through the draft to build their team up, they have cap space. They're one of the highest teams in terms of cap space. So now you're looking, okay, we need a left tackle. I don't want to use my first round pick on it because they are picking later. And a left tackle in the 20s, not guaranteed to be successful for you. A guy like Trent Williams might be a free agent. Go throw $20 million at him for three years when you know you're going to have the money anyway and let Carson Wentz be successful, I think they get right back to the playoffs. Last season didn't end the way they wanted to, and I think most, to me, when I watched Phillip Rivers play last year, it was a lot of, okay, it could be better. That's what I thought when I watched him play quite a bit. With Carson Wentz, I think you're going to get at least what Phillip Rivers got you, and if you get him back to his MVP form, you're getting 10 times better 
than Phillip Rivers last season. So I think they get right back to the playoffs with them. I think it's a good pairing. And now looking at the other side here, the Eagles. Now trading Carson Wentz away, firing Doug Peterson. Do you go out there and start Jalen Hurts? And there have been rumors that they're interested in a Trey Lance, Justin Fields. Do you start Hurts or do you go veteran or do you go draft when you pick at sixth overall? What what are you doing? I'm doing all three. I'm <laughs> drafting a quarterback, I'm bringing in a veteran, and I'm letting Jalen Hurts at least make his case for a starter in camp. There are available veterans like maybe Ryan Fitzpatrick, seeing if they can, maybe Cam Newton, they could bring him in. It's just who's going to work in that scheme and then drafting a quarterback that you think is going to be better than whatever veteran you bring in or Jalen Hurts. And if you can't, then you do go with Hurts. Yeah, I think I like the veteran idea and I like the draft. I don't think I draft QB at six, though. I think I take a second, third round chance on a guy and a guy that you like a lot, a project, and you let him sit and develop because now that you've traded Carson Wentz, you almost have to have Jalen Hurts in some type of competition. Put him in competition. I love the veteran idea, whether it be possibly also Andy Dalton, another guy you can toss into that category. Let him come in, compete with Jalen Hurts, see who wins. But then also in the distance there, have that quarterback you drafted in the mid-rounds that can come in and be successful. Have him t- Give him time to develop so if Hurts doesn't work out or Dalton doesn't work out, you can just plug him right in and things will go well for you. And talking about Jalen Hurts a little bit, statistically, it wasn't all that great of a year for him. 52% completion percentage, six touchdowns, four picks. Wasn't that great, but he did give Eagles fans some hope. He was kind of something new and exciting for the fan base. So I think he deserves a shot to compete, but also with where the Eagles are at cap space-wise, and I think they go receiver at six. I think you have to almost, but when you look at this Eagles team, they need more weapons. I don't know if any quarterback is going to succeed with them, so that's why I think you have to go receiver there at six, but I think Hurts probably ends up starting next year for them. I do like the veteran and then the mid-round rookie to come in. And now, also looking at the Eagles, you're now moving off of Carson Wentz, a guy who you spent the second overall pick on in 2016, traded the house to go get. Do you like that decision to move on from Wentz, or would you have liked them to hold on to him with Sirianni and the chance to develop? I like moving on from him. I think it was a good choice. I can see him becoming kind of like a Tannehill, that that's what everyone's worried about when they move on from a quarterback, that they're going to move on and he's going to succeed and be so much better somewhere else. I think they just needed a change. That entire organization had to go in a different direction, and moving on from Wentz was part of that change. Yeah, I'm with you. I personally didn't think it was going to happen. When they got rid of Doug Peterson, I said, okay, they're picking Wentz. But I think Wentz, after they benched him for Hurts, it was, okay, this organization is disrespecting me. I want out. And they honored it. They kept it behind the scenes and on the low, but they honored it. So I think right choice, yes, because obviously money-wise with that, that goes into that. If he was on that rookie deal still, 
I'd say no. But with the money you're paying him, his injury history, new head coach, new regime in there, yeah, let's move on from him. Give Jalen Hurts a shot. And that's where the rook- the rookie QB for me is interesting. I don't I can't imagine you going QB at six because you do have Jalen Hurts and the veteran idea. But if Nick Sirianni sees someone he likes and he falls in love with him in the draft process, maybe that's what they do there at six. They do go get his QB. So I think that's an interesting scenario to look at in this offseason. I don't think they go QB at six, but hey, I didn't think they get rid of Wentz either. And to wrap up talking about the Eagles here real quick, the Eagles front office, they made their plans known that Sean Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey will not be returning in 2021. Do you see either of these two guys finding new homes this late in their careers? I do. It might not be somewhere they stay. I could see them kind of being a little like Des Bryant, as we've seen, bouncing around on practice squads or trying to make certain teams and showing if they have it left. Now, I think it's going to be a little easier for Alshon Jeffrey because he's not as speed-focused. That's not what his game is, whereas Deshaun Jackson, a little bit older and so reliant on his speed, is going to slow down because of his age. So I think if any, if they're going to land anywhere, it's Alshon Jeffrey is going to find the landing spot over Deshaun Jackson. Yeah, both these guys, do they? it's tough. I think they find new teams. Do they make a difference for those teams? No. I don't think either of them come in and do anything for a new team in 2021. When you look at Alshon Jeffrey, just been banged up the last couple of years. And when I think about his tenure in Philly, it was in the Super Bowl, the big season he had to get there. And then also once he got to the Super Bowl, the big touchdown that he had, it was a great catch. But then you can't help but think about in 2018 when Nick Foles and them were kind of running again. They win the wild card round and they head to New Orleans trying to go on a game-winning drive, tips right off of his hands. And it's interesting to see he's actually only 31. But once again, for an NFL receiver, you're already up there in age. You're already banged up. The last two seasons, you've not played a full year. And this year just had six catches. I don't know how many teams would be willing to sign up for a guy like Alshon Jeffrey just because it is going. he's more of a physical go-get-it receiver. He's not the best route runner, but he is the guy who can go get it. So I think he's going to be a good red zone target. But realistically, I think he's more of like a 4-5 receiver on a team. It's a depth piece at close to the vet minimum, maybe 1-2 to $2 million. That's all I can really see for him. And then Deshaun Jackson, who's older at 34. Deshaun Jackson is a guy that I will always remember him as seeing his punt return against the Giants live. It was so cool. His time was running out. He takes it all the way back and celebrates running all the way down the end zone. That is something I will always remember about Deshaun Jackson, but he's not that same guy anymore. Yes, he still has his speed. His first game this year, he had the long bomb touchdown from Carson Wentz, and it was, okay, the Eagles are back. It was short-lived, um, obviously. Didn't really do much after that for them. But for him, only two games where he played this year, 14 catches, 236 yards. Yeah, I don't I don't think he does much. I don't, I don't think... When you look at teams that could add him, a Super Bowl contender looking for a depth piece at a speed receiver spot, I think they would be interested in him. A guy that uh, comes to mind that's worked with him before is Kyle Shanahan, looking for a speed receiver, maybe bringing him in as a fourth, fifth option there. 
I think that's a possibility for him. But both these guys, I don't think they have too much left in the tank, and it's starting to show already. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to take a look at Deshaun Watson, a team's now rumored to go all in for him. Will they actually make a move? And also, we're going to look at Cam Newton's situation. Young camper talking trash to him. Did people forget how good Cam Newton was? Stay tuned. Welcome back in to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. And we're going to keep on rolling here with some NFL talk. We're going to look at Deshaun Watson once again. Rumors are that there's a specific team looking to make a huge run at him. That team is the Carolina Panthers. Do you think it's smart for the Panthers to go all in on Deshaun Watson? I don't think so. Uh, last year, they did not perform all that well. They were 5-11 and in a kind of weird NFC South, but they they didn't do too much on either side of the, of the ball. They don't have a team or they could work around Deshaun Watson. And I think if they do put together some sort of package for him, I think Deshaun Watson could kind of veto that with his no trade clause because he wants to go somewhere that where he can win right away. Yeah, the Panthers for me, they're an interesting spot. I don't think he, they'd be atop his list, but I also think they have some nice things there for him. When you look at the receiver spot, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, if they do re-sign Curtis Samuel, that's nothing to sneeze at there at the wide receiver position. Then, obviously, Christian McCaffrey, one of the best running backs in all football. Hurt last year, but still fantastic. And great out of the backfield. I'm sure Deshaun Watson would love that, as he's used to David Johnson, Duke Johnson. So that's something that he's quite used to. Then, defensively is where the Panthers, for me, are. it's interesting. You have Shaq Thomas, and then you have Derek Brown on the defensive line. In the secondary, you have Dante Jackson, who's one of the best corners when it comes to speed, and he's really starting to become his own player. A lot of people are starting to respect his game. Then also Jeremy Chin, the young safety they have. I like some of the pieces they have on defense, including Brian Burns. I totally forgot about him. But in order to get Sean Watson, you're going to have to give up a couple of those defensive starters. And I think a guy like Brian Burns, they're going to want out of a trade. Or Mos Gratos, who they took out of Penn State last season, their other edge rusher. They're going to want one of them. And also probably a piece from your secondary, whether it be a Dante Jackson or a Jeremy Chin, who I don't think you can give up if you want your secondary to still be successful. So for me, the Panthers are in an intriguing spot because of the team. But also, for me, it's Joe Brady. That's a big piece for me. Watson may be very intrigued by the idea of playing for Joe Brady at the offensive coordinator spot. Fantastic with LSU. And the Panthers did have some explosive plays last season with Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who's not necessarily known for his arm strength. So I think that could be exciting. But I personally think that you just have to give up too much in order to get him. You're not going to continue to build this team up. They're not ready to win right away. Could Watson get them into the playoffs? Sure. Could Watson get them over the top to a Super Bowl? I don't think so. So for me, I don't think it's all that smart, but I do believe that the Panthers, they've sold themselves on it is a smart idea to go all in. And now some, some people have come up with their trade rumors, what would be in the package, and they've tossed in Christian McCaffrey, their star running back who just got a new contract, in a trade for Watson, would you give up Christian McCaffrey? That's 
in part of the package who the Texans wanted from you? Not a chance. He is the face of your franchise right now. And I think even if Watson was on board with going to the Panthers, if McCaffrey's going back the other way, he's not going to be on board. He he wants that dynamic playmaker, someone he can really elevate and who can elevate him on that team, which is what's lacking right now with the Texans. If Watson does want to go to the Panthers, he wants to play with McCaffrey. So I don't think there's really any way they, the Panthers, that is, give up Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I think it's a great point that you made about Watson wanting to play with McCaffrey. I 100% would believe that as well. That'd kind of be the selling point to me if I was Deshaun Watson wanting to play there in Carolina. Now, if I'm the Panthers and I was approached about trading McCaffrey for Watson, would I do it? I think I would. I would do it because when I look at what I need, for me, the franchise QB is a huge piece that you have to get answered. And Christian McCaffrey is a guy that now starting to deal with some injuries, hurt most of last season. I only believe he played two or three games last season. Hurt for most of the year. Yes, he's been very successful. The year before that, 1,300 yards rushing with 1,000 yards receiving. One of only three backs to do that himself, Marshall Falk and Roger Craig. Only three to be able to say that they've done that. So it's a fantastic feat. But if I'm the Panthers, I'm paying him $16 million a year at the running back spot. 24, going to be 25 before the season starts. I'm, I'm a fan of not breaking the bank for running backs, personally. The Panthers, I get their situation they were in in paying McCaffrey. They had to. You couldn't let him walk. He's a fan favorite. You had to get him paid. But if you want to be a contending team, I just don't think you can pay a running back 15 to $16 million because running backs for you are going to be four to five years, and then you're going to move on because then they're going to be getting close to 30. So I think I would give it up because obviously bringing in Watson would be key for me. Number one, I want to get Sean Watson in the building. But getting out of that $16 million contract I think would be huge because you look at some running backs that are successful. Normally there's six to seven running backs a draft that are in some type of featured role for a team. You look at undrafted guys and guys who just were late-round picks that make themselves well-known like Austin Eckler, Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones another guy that's going to be out in free agency. Do I think if I'm the Packers, do I re-sign him? I don't think so. Yes, he's been a big part of your team. But I would trust LaFleur and his ability to bring in a new running back and still be successful. And that's one of those things where the quarterback, once again, is that important position you have Aaron Rodgers. So for me, I don't like paying running backs. So if that's what it costs me, I would give it up. Now, realistically, here, you are the Panthers making a trade package to the Texans to get Deshaun Watson. What would it be for you? What would you offer up? It's got to be the... You know, the requisite picks, three firsts, maybe, you know, throw in a couple seconds, and then some sort of piece defensively. I'm not sure exactly who. I think maybe Shaq Thomas is that piece. And then coming back the other way, Deshaun Watson, and maybe like a a late-round pick or a mid-round pick, like a third or a fourth, just as kind of a kick-in. But I'm I'm not sure either team is really all that happy with those trades. 
Yeah, and this one, my offer I would make, and I think it's a pretty good offer that I would make to the Texans here. Obviously, it's going to start with the three first-round picks, like you said. Then I'm going to give up Dante Jackson. The corner has elite speed from LSU. He's on that rookie deal still, but you're going to have to pay him at some point. He's going to need paid, and once you bring in Deshaun Watson, your cap space is going to shrink quite a bit. So let's move on from Dante Jackson while you can go ahead and get some value off of him. While I think he's a very good corner, Deshaun Watson, for me, outweighs Dante Jackson. And then I'm giving up Brian Burns, your first-round pick from Florida State from, 27, from 2019. That one, for me, stings quite a bit because I liked Brian Burns when he was coming out of Florida State. I thought he was fantastic. And so far in the NFL, I think he has been just that, pretty Pretty good for just his second year in the league. Total of 16 and a half sacks over his career, nine of which came this last season. So only a two-year career there, real short. But Brian Burns can turn into that that speed rusher that you're looking for. That's kind of what his go-to is, that speed rush. He can be that type of guy for the Texans. And if I'm the Texans, I'm getting two starters on my defense now, Dante Jackson and Brian Burns. And Brian Burns has a chance to become a really good pass rusher in this league. And three first-round picks, and I'm clearing up money. If I'm to trade Deshaun Watson, I'm not necessarily sure I could get a whole lot better of a deal from someone else. Because some of those contending teams, some of the teams that are up there um, in rumors with them, you look at a team like the 49ers, just for example, or the Bears, can they afford, yes, they're a quarterback away from being very successful, can they afford to give up three firsts, take on that contract, and lose two defensive starters? It would be tough. So I think, obviously, this would be one of the better packages they could get. Um, will they take it? I don't know. I don't think they want to trade him. So I don't. I doubt they would, but it would just be a good trade I would attempt. And now, looking at the Texans, if they are to deal Deshaun Watson, let's say it's to the Panthers. We both gave away the first-round pick this year. Texans are now on the clock with the 8th overall pick. Do you go QB at 8, or what do you do? I think you do go QB. You need... Obviously, it really depends on who's there, but I think they're going to take someone at quarterback no matter what, even if it's not the right decision, because you just gave away Deshaun Watson your franchise. He was your franchise, and you need another, you need a replacement in that spot. So, they're, it's kind of forcing their hand if they do get that Panthers eighth overall pick. It's forcing them to go quarterback. Yeah, for me, if I was the Texans, I would not go QB, but the Texans, I could very well see them doing that because they would want to get that QB in place. For me, I wouldn't because I am now becoming a fan of that team approach of building the team up. I think there's a lot of different ways you could go there. You could get an elite receiver. You could get a left tackle. And I know you have Laramie Tunsil there, but he's making a lot of money, and you still need to address other pieces on your line. If Let's say at eight overall, Sewell possibly drops or Rashawn Slater. Two guys I think would step right in and be starters for them. And also, if you want to address defensively, there's some corners, Caleb Farley, Patrick Sertan. There's some different places you can go that I think make more sense than QB. But 
I don't know what the Texans would do, honestly, if they had that pick, because the Texans are a pretty tough organization to read. They're kind of all over the place. Now we're going to go ahead and get into some Cam Newton talk here. Going to be a free agent this offseason. He was hosting a camp where he had young kids come in. They were going up against each other, and one of the young campers was yelling at him, you're a free agent, you're a bum, you're not good. And Cam Newton let him have it back a little bit. And then the video went viral and everybody was talking about it. Cam Newton since has put out a post about it. And the camper has also uh, publicly apologized. And the two did have a good conversation about it. And by the end of the camp, things were all settled uh, out pretty well. So now looking at Cam Newton, getting called a bomb and trash. Do people forget how good Cam Newton was and he still is? I think people forget how good he was. Because, you know, you look at some of these stats. He's an MVP. He was an MVP in that 2015 season where they went 15-1. and He was a phenomenal player, but he's just not the same anymore. Which is really sad to see his body has kind of let him down with all the injuries his arm isn't the same I think he could possibly come back and be a he just needs to adjust his game and change it with his physical limitations that he has now I think he's going to be on a team at the start of next year it's just where he's going to be yeah and I think it's a Good point to bring up. Cam Newton is a quarterback who's been in the league for a while now. Three-time Pro Bowler. He's been an All-Pro. He's been an MVP. He's been an Offensive Player of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year. Been to a Super Bowl as an NFC champion. And then you look at what he did in college. Heisman Trophy winner and a national champion with Auburn. How many players to go through an NFL career can say they have that type of resume? Not many. Not many at all. And not to mention his MVP season, 35 touchdown passes, just to 10 interceptions, and then 10 more rushing touchdowns. So 45 total touchdowns to 10 interceptions there for him. Being the NFC champion, Cam Newton, his nickname Superman, he truly was Superman for quite a few years. Now he's older at 31, and he's been a running quarterback, so he has been injured. That was a great point you made about the injuries. For me, he didn't get a lot of calls that other QBs got. You were seeing Cam Newton get hit head-to-head, then also when he was sliding, getting hit. And that's when we start to see some of these injuries. And the Cam Newton we saw last year, it was reminiscent to start of the Cam Newton of old that we were used to. He got it to a hot start with New England, but then obviously COVID, he was in the COVID protocols, and then he was gone for two weeks. And when he came back, the offense was different, I'd say. Not as many rushing attempts for him when that's really kind of his calling card. You saw more of a Jarrett Stidham, Brian Hoyer offense that he was now getting plugged into. And I didn't like that. And for me, Cam Newton, in my opinion, still has a lot of talent left and still can be very successful. I say that because, one, I look at Josh McDaniels and... When I look at Josh McDaniels, what he did, Tom Brady this season was a top-five quarterback again. 
his last year in New England, people were saying he was washed, he was done, and there was teams that needed QBs that weren't even interested in Tom Brady. He's the greatest quarterback of all time. You had to have a pretty bad year for them to think that. His last throw in New England was a pick six. Now you plug in Cam Newton into this vanilla, bland offense. And is he all that successful? No, but he does get him to that seven-win mark. And just to go through some of the receivers he was throwing to, Julian Edelman was hurt for a lot of the year. Marquise Lee was hurt for a lot of the year too. So overall, his receivers this season that he was throwing to the most were Jacoby Myers, Demir Bird, and Nikhil Harry. All three of which are, if they were on any other roster, probably wouldn't be in any team's top four. Just They're, to point out how bad they are, I think I've heard of one of them, Yeah, and I love football. I've heard of one of them. Exactly. That's the way it is. They're just not good. And I think that affected Cam Newton. I would love to see him getting an offensive-centric team and just build around him. And you're not going to get 35 touchdown passes, 10 more rushing, just to 10 picks from. You're not going to get an MVP-type performance again. But are there 32 better QBs? He was asked that. He said no. And I agree with him. I think in the right situation, he's a top 16 QB once again. If he's in the right situation. So that's for why for me, I want to see him go to a good spot to succeed. A lot of people are connecting the dots. Ron Rivera and uh, Cam Newton there in Washington. I'm not a huge fan of it, but I think that there is a lot there to like of Cam Newton. And people, because he was in New England, are starting to write him off. I don't like that. I think there's still a lot left with Cam Newton. And now talking about the kid a little bit who was telling Cam Newton he was trash. He was a bomb and he was a free agent. Some came to defend uh, the camper who was saying that to him. What do you, what do you think about that? It, it's ballsy. It, being at someone's camp and calling them trash. Uh, realistically, the kid can say kind of whatever he wants. Uh, it's it was. I'm glad they've made amends and apologized, but it was definitely an interesting choice yeah. to make. Uh, all in all, it's no one's really harmed by it. Yeah, and I love the point you made. I just can't imagine that. As myself going to a Cam Newton camp and telling Cam Newton he was bad. I just can't picture that for myself. But apparently someone can. And when you look at what Cam Newton's response was, I thought it was great. He didn't take it to heart. He joked back with the camper and he said, well, at least I'm rich. And that he is. He's made a lot of money being a successful NFL and college athlete. So I personally, I think I wouldn't have done it. It happened. I like the way it's ended. And Cam Newton, a lot of athletes would have not taken it that way. It would have been a lot more serious of a situation. But Cam Newton didn't take it to heart, and he made the best out of it. And that goes to show truly how good, great of a person Cam Newton is as well. Uh, great player, great person. And it leads us into our next point here. I hope, and I think he will be, a starter somewhere next season. Um, could he be a backup? Yeah. Uh, if he's not on a roster, I think there's something wrong there because Cam Newton is still talented and he still has it. So what do you think? you think Cam Newton's a starter next year? I think he could be a starter next year. It's, But he's not going to be 
initially brought in as one. He's going to be brought into whatever team, and he's going to have to fight for that spot. But I think he can win that fight and succeed as a starter in the NFL still. Yeah, I think a great position for Cam Newton would be a sign a contract to start somewhere for about two to three years and let the team that you're signing with go get that rookie QB behind you and be that mentor. Let him sit for a couple of years, year maybe. And then Cam Newton also can prove he still has some left in the tank and now go off and play somewhere else. That's where Washington comes into play for me. I think that would be a perfect spot for him. Go back. I don't I don't like the all the weapons they have, but it's far better than what New England had. So Logan Thomas, Terry McLaurin, it's better. So I say go do it. But then they bring in that rookie QB, and they can make it work that way. And now we're going to get into some buy or sell on some NFL trade rumors going around here. And the first one, Deshaun Watson's a hard guy not to talk about. He really is. He's kind of around everywhere. And if you turn on ESPN, he's the first guy that you see talked about. Deshaun Watson to the Jets. There's a rumor that he's now put the Jets on his list of teams he will accept because he's just once out of Houston. And obviously, the Jets have the second overall pick. Houston has to like that quite a bit. Are you buying or are you selling that? I'm going to buy that one. It's tough because you never really know what NFL front offices are thinking, but it gives the Jets options or it gives Houston options with probably the multitude of second round picks I w- and I would have to imagine Quinn and Williams is going along in that deal it's it's a lot but it can be somewhere Watson could succeed yeah for me I think the Jets I I'm buying that he changed his list up and he's adding more teams to it because he just wants out that bad I'm going to sell to the Jets because I think at the end of the day, the Jets are going to look at what they can do and put themselves in some different situations here. Do we give up our future and trying to build this team to bring in Watson? Or do we go ahead and just sit here and get our pick of any QB not named Trevor Lawrence that we want here at two? And we also have the decision on Sam Darden, who was a top five pick at one time too. Do we ride with him? I think there's too many options for the Jets to give up all their picks and a guy like Quinn and Williams to bring in Watson. Would Watson want to go there? Sure, just wants out. But I, I, the Jets side of it, I think it'd be smarter for them in the long run. I know you're giving up a guy you know is going to be going to be very successful for you for a rookie QB. But if I'm the Jets, it's a chance I'm willing to take because we are in just year one of this new team with Robert Sala. Next one here, let's say the Jets move on from Sam Darnold. Are you buying or selling Sam Darnold to the Washington football team? I actually like that one a lot. Darnold needs a change of scenery. He needs to remove all thoughts and feelings of Adam Gase. And I think the Washington football team is a good place to go. Ron Rivera is a great coach. He's a personal favorite of mine. And I think they have something special in Washington. I'm not completely sold that Darnold can be kind of quote-unquote fixed, but Washington is a place that 
gives him the opportunity to change. Yeah, I'm buying this one too. And when I look at it, if I'm Washington, what do I do at the quarterback spot? When it comes to drafting a QB, there's a good chance that Lawrence, Fields, Wilson, Lance, and Mac Jones are all off the board by pick 20. There's a very good chance all five of them go within those first 20 picks. So now, what do I do at the quarterback spot? I, it's rumored the Jets are looking for a second and a fourth round pick for Darnold. I don't think you get a second. If Carson Wentz fetched you a second, who has proved that he can be good in this league, I don't think Darnold gets that type of value. I think we're looking at more of maybe a third, third and a six, a three and a seven. I think that's what we're looking at for him. And it could be a three this year, a six next year, or vice versa, six this year, three next year. And if you're able to give that up and you take a chance on a guy like Darnold, the football team got into the playoffs last year with Taylor Heineke playing games, Alex Smith playing games, Kyle Allen playing games, Dwayne Haskins playing games. Now you're taking a chance on a one-time third overall pick. I love that move. I'm not sure you can get a guy of his talent. I'm not saying he's the most talented QB in the league, but I don't think you could get a Sam Darnold in the third round of this or next year's draft. So for me, I'm taking that chance if I'm the football team, and now you can still pick 20, add to your offensive line, add to your defense, whatever you seem fit for your team. Next one we have here, Marcus Mariota, Las Vegas' backup to the New England Patriots. Are you buying or selling? I'm going to buy that one. I just want to see Marcus Mariota succeed, and I can see that with him being moved to the Patriots because he. we talked about the offense there with Josh McDaniels and how Cam Newton didn't really succeed there. I think Marcus Mariota has a chance to succeed with the Patriots, so I'm going to buy that one. Yeah, for that one, for me, it's tough. I'm going to sell it, but I'm going to sell it in the point that I think New England's going to be on in on every QB available. They're going to be all over, and I think Mariota could be an option for them. I really do, but I think more likely for them, they're going to only to want to, okay, they're going to weigh the options. Do I move up and go get my QB that I want? Do I go with Mariota, a guy who, yeah, I think we can be successful with, but do I really want him? Or do I go back, call my buddy John Lynch and say, hey, I want Jimmy G back? What? There's a lot of options for them that I think they end up with someone other than Marcus Mariota. And knowing Bill Belichick, he's been able to just bring in players and they've done well. One of his old former QBs is out on the market going to be out on the market not Jimmy G but Jacoby Brissett he's going to be a free agent do they look to bring him back I think there's just too many options for them to settle on Marcus Mariota but I I do like that idea because I think it'd be an interesting matchup and now the last one we will do here tonight is Zach Ertz to the Buffalo Bills it's rumored that Ertz has asked to be traded do you think are you buying or selling Ertz to the Bills I'm going to buy that one because Zach Ertz just wants out. I wouldn't want to be on that Eagles team either. Not that they would have me, but (laughs) (laughs) um, I think he can bring a nice veteran presence to the Bills, especially in that tight end position that can really elevate them. I kind of see him as a little bit of a, a better version and a... Uh, 
yeah, just a better, younger version of uh, Jimmy Graham in Chicago, bringing in a veteran presence to teach some of the younger tight ends as well as just play well. Because he's 30, that's relatively young in sports years. So I I think that could definitely happen. Yeah, I'm buying that one too. Um, just the idea of giving another top weapon to Josh Allen I think is huge. There's not many really good tight ends in the league. There's a few. You look at Kelsey and Kittle, I think they're in a class of their own. Then right underneath them is Darren Waller, Mark Andrews. At one time, it was Kelsey, Ertz, Kittle. And now it's shifted. But I think Zach Ertz still has a little bit left in the tank. He has to worry about those injuries. I think that's been bringing him back. But a chance to be with Josh Allen, he's not a receiver who's a tight end, I guess, that's going to have a lot of yards after the catch. But he's a possession guy. And I think he's going to fit in well to the receivers that the Bills have. They have so many yards after catch and speed threats. John Brown, Cole Beasley, Stephon Diggs. The, a nice possession guy over the middle, like Zach Ertz, a safety blanket, I think would be huge for Josh Allen. We're going to take our second break here on Sportsman Like Conduct. When we come back, we're going to hop into a pre-free agency mock draft. We'll do 1 through 16 this week and 17 through 32 next week. So don't go anywhere. Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer. And we're going to get into our pre-free agency mock draft here. Obviously, this is going to be a little bit tough, but we're going to take a look at a pre-free agency mock draft. Then we're going to give you a post-free agency mock draft. And then obviously we'll do our draft special the night before. So right now we're going to give you picks 1 through 16. We're going to start number 1. You're on the clock. Jacksonville Jaguars. Seems like a pretty easy pick. Are you going with Trevor Lawrence? You know what? I I think Trevor Lawrence is a little overhyped. No, I'm kidding. It's obviously <laughs> Trevor Lawrence with the first pick. You're, you got a good young team. Well, good is subjective here. In the Jaguars, you bring in Urban Meyer. I think you can kind of turn it around and build this team up. And that starts with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, I got Lawrence here too. I think that's why Urban Urban Meyer took the job. It was because Trevor Lawrence is a generational talent at QB. Personally, for me, I think he's the best QB prospect out since Andrew Luck. And a lot of people do go with that, say that as well because he can do everything. He's so talented. He's a winner. He can throw the football anywhere so effortlessly. And for me, it really struck me how good Trevor Lawrence was going to be when in this first national championship game up against Alabama, Nick Saban's Alabama defense, everyone talks about how it's fantastic. And he goes in there and shreds them all night at Levi Stadium. For me, Trevor Lawrence is a can't-miss prospect, and Jacksonville goes and gets their guy with the first overall pick. Now we move in the second overall pick. Robert Salas, first draft as head coach of the Jets. Which direction do him and Joe Douglas go? I've Obviously, you know, depending on trades, but it's a quarterback whose draft stock has risen a lot this year. Uh, from BYU, Zach Wilson. I think they're going to have, the Jets are going to have a hard time making any trades for good quarterbacks, so they're going to go QB in the draft to try and turn their fortunes around. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I have Zach Wilson as well, and I love that pick. Zach Wilson, obviously, I'm going to say this. Trevor Lawrence is out of the question. He's Jacksonville, and I have not even thought about him. But outside of Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson's my favorite quarterback prospect because I think he's so exciting. He has the highest ceiling for me. Obviously, his floor 
is a lot lower than a guy like Justin Fields, but his potential is higher than Justin Fields, and that's why I think they go with him here. He can make all these off-platform throws. He's mobile, and when Robert Sala went to the Jets, he took LaFleur, the offensive coordinator of the 49ers, with him. And so now they like to run bootlegs, play actions. Zach Wilson has the mobility to do all of that and just the ability to get out of the pocket, extend plays. And the off-script plays for me is what's most exciting about Zach Wilson. Things are breaking down. He still finds a way to come up with that big play. A star like that with the Jets would be fantastic because it would keep the city very happy. Third overall in our mock draft is the Miami Dolphins. They have this pick from the Houston Texans in the trade for Laramie Tunsil. Where do the Dolphins go with the third overall pick? I have them going wide receiver. There's been some talk about maybe they want to get uh, a lineman, a tackle. But I think there's so much tackle depth and offensive line depth in this draft. You could draft a first-round talent with your second-round pick, so I have them going wide receiver with Jamar Chase. I think he's just a really great option, good size, and I think he'll be a great target for Tua. Yeah, for me, exact same pick. I'm going Jamar Chase, too. And Chase is a guy that, since last year, the playoff run the LSU made, he's been touted as the number one receiver in his draft class. I think Devontae Smith made a giant run at him for it, but I still think he comes up just short. I think Chase wins out on this one. Chase does a lot of things well, one of which is go get it. He's a guy that can just take the jump ball and make a play on it. But the underrated trait for me is his route running ability and his separation. That's really, for me, where Chase is at his best, is he is separation with those cornerbacks. And for a guy like Tua, knowing you can trust Chase to get that separation on every play, I think that would be huge for him. And now Tua has Chase, Preston Williams, and Devontae Parker. Not to mention maybe they do a little something in free agency to help out as well. I like that matchup very well for the offense against any defense in the league. And then they do have another first-round pick. So if you want to address the tackle spot, you can do that. And if you want to address a defensive spot, you can do that. So they have a lot of flexibility here, but you're not going to get a player of Jamar Chase's ability anywhere else. The next pick we have here is the Atlanta Falcons. They're at fourth overall. New head coach, Arthur Smith. Where does he go with this pick? This one is tough for me because I think that the Falcons should be going full rebuild. Well, they are, they have the illusion, I believe they have the illusion that they are going to try and compete with Matt Ryan and Julio Jones. So I think they're going to go somewhere else. But what they should do is get Justin Fields, the best available quarterback, uh, after Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, a great player that you can have him sit behind Matt Ryan and develop kind of what you saw with Patrick Mahomes uh, sitting behind Alex Smith and let him develop and learn from Matt Ryan. But unfortunately, I don't think this is actually what's going to happen. Yeah, for me, I'm with you. If I was the Falcons, I new coach, I'd be going the QB route too because you probably won't be picking this high again if your coach is successful. Here's your chance to go get that QB. But I have them not going that direction. I have them sticking with Matt Ryan, Julio, and I have them going Caleb Farley 
the cornerback from Virginia Tech. And when I look, or, or Virginia, excuse me, when I look at Farley, for me, he's a lengthy corner. I think he's going to fit well with the Atlanta Falcons. And when I was thinking, okay, what do what does Atlanta need? Quarterback spot, A.J. Terrell. They got the rookie out of Clemson last year in the first round. He he was okay this year. He has room to improve. And I, I sat there and thought, who's the other corner for the Atlanta Falcons? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's Kendall Shepfield. Yeah, I, I think we could use a corner there. So why not go get the best corner on the board and get Caleb Farley? I think it's a good pick for them. New defensive coordinator, Dean Pease. Give him a corner there who he can trust out on island and let A.J. Terrell get even better. Now you have a good young duo there. Now we're going to the fifth overall pick in our mock draft. It's the Cincinnati Bengals here. Joe Burrow tears his ACL year one. What do you do to help out this Bengals team? I saw Joe Burrow getting hurt. I knew it was going to happen in some way with just how tremendously awful their offensive line is. And with their first pick, they need to address that. I have them taking the offensive tackle from Oregon, Sewell. I'm probably pronouncing that wrong. He has really great length, good footwork in that tackle spot. He has the size to play tackle and the ability to play tackle, so you're not going to have to move him into guard. He has the ability and technique for pass blocking. Not the most fantastic run blocker, but you have Joe Burrow, you're going to want to pass the ball a lot. Yeah, I'm with you. I got Panay Sewell as well from Oregon, the tackle. When you look at it, you got to protect Joe Burrow. That's your franchise piece. You took him with that number one overall pick. Let's protect him. Let's get him the tackle. Don't really have much more to say on it. It's kind of an easy pick for me. If Sewell's on the board there, I'm taking him. If a team like Miami decides that they can get a receiver they like a little bit later in the first round and decides to go with Sewell, I think the pick has to be Rashawn Slater. You have to go tackle here with one of those picks, and you have to help protect Joe Burrow because if he's hurt, your team's not going to be successful. Next pick we have here is the Philadelphia Eagles. We've talked about this pick a little bit tonight so far. Who do you have there at that sixth pick? I have them taking Trey Lance out of North Dakota. I think it's just... It's not the best idea. I think they should be. We've talked about changing how the NFL teams build themselves, adding a quarterback after their team is all together. I think they're not going to do that. They're taking Trey Lance here, and he's more of kind of in that project quarterback. Not not fully, but gives some competition to Jalen Hurts and whichever one works best for your team, you can go with into the future. Yeah, I like the Trey Lance pick there. Trey Lance is a guy, his floor is low because you don't know what you're going to get, but his ceiling is very high. He's a guy that in the right situation I think is going to flourish. So I think Philadelphia could be a good spot for him. With my pick, I have them going Devontae Smith. I have them sticking with Jalen Hurts and adding some weapons here. Losing Deshaun Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey, why not go get a wide receiver for your team? And Devontae Smith, an elite talent, I think he's going to run. I think he's going to run pretty well at his pro day when it comes to a forty time. No combine this year, but I think he's going to do really well in that position. And then when you look at Philadelphia, it's a tough team to play for because if you're not successful and you're a high pick, it's not going to go over well. But I think Devontae Smith, for me. I'm a little worried because I just don't trust pure speed receivers. 
when you look at some of these guys through the past, they get hurt a lot in the NFL, and speed doesn't last forever. You look at John Ross, everyone thought he was going to be very good. Then he kind of falls off. Then last year, Henry Ruggs, he was kind of supposed to be this elite talent wide receiver and really didn't do much this year. It was a very dis- first receiver taken, in my opinion, was probably one of the most disappointing first-round picks. So I'm a little worrisome about Devontae Smith, but I think his route-running ability is really what separates him from a Henry Ruggs. I think he's more crisp there. Next pick we have here is the Detroit Lions. Obviously traded Stafford away, but brought in Jared Goff. Do they address the offense here? Or they go in defense. I think they're going offense. Yeah, they're. I think they're going offense. Devonte Smith. You just talked about him. Giving another target to Jared Goff is only going to help him be better. It's interesting because you see Kenny Galladay is. Are they going to keep him? I think they want to. It's more his choice. They have some interesting pieces there at wide receiver, and I think they're going to add there with Devontae Smith. Yeah, for me, I have Smith gone, I have Chase gone, possibly losing Kenny Galladay to free agency. I think you're 100% going to lose Marvin Jones to free agency. I'm going to go the weapon route as well. I'm going to go Jalen Waddle in this this pick. And Jalen Waddle is a guy that he's going to be underrated. He played with the injury there in the championship game and got hurt this year. He's a guy that's going to fall a little bit, but for me, he's the most talented Alabama receiver that is there. Now, if he gets to play the full season, I think he's picked higher than Devontae Smith, but the situation is not that way, so I think we see him fall a little bit. Three receivers in the top 10 is a little much for me, but hey, it's pre-free agency, so I'm going with it. I like Waddle there at 7, helping Goff out, like you said. Now we're going to go to the eighth overall pick, and that is the Carolina Panthers. Who do you have them taking? Because I had Trey Lance going to the Eagles, I think the Panthers panic a little because the quarterback market or the quarterback class in this draft has been picked up so quickly. I have them taking Mac Jones because I think he's the last of the like cream of the crop quarterbacks in the first uh round so I have them going there Alabama has always had trouble Alabama quarterbacks has have always had geez I cannot talk today they've always had trouble transitioning their talent to the NFL and I think that could be the case but I I think Carolina is going to take that shot anyway yeah, for me, I'm going quarterback too. I have Carolina addressing that need here. I have Justin Fields coming off the board here. He falls a little bit for me. And Justin Fields is a very interesting prospect. Um, Ohio State's another school that quarterbacks haven't been all that successful. People are questioning it. I think he needs to be looked at differently than other Ohio State quarterbacks. I think he has a lot more intangibles you like. I think he has a strong arm. He's very accurate. One thing people talk about is, okay, he doesn't get the ball out as quick. He waits on his receivers. That is because the offense Ohio State runs. It's a lot of options routes, and he's waiting on those receivers to break one way or the other before he throws it. That's why his timing seems a little bit late. I gained a lot of respect for Justin Fields watching his game against Clemson after he took that big shot from Stalkis, and then he stays out there, comes back into the game, and throws a touchdown, and comes in the second half and throws two touchdown bombs. 
I didn't know he had that type of arm. For me, Justin Fields, very exciting prospect. And we didn't I didn't even talk about his athleticism. There's a lot to like there. And I think Carolina needing a QB. Why not go right there? Now we're gonna go into our ninth overall pick, the Denver Broncos. Vic Fangio could be on the hot seat this year if they're not successful. Question marks with Drew Locke. Where do they go with this pick? I have them going with someone you've already mentioned, uh, Caleb Farley, the the cornerback. There we go. They have good good cornerbacks there and good uh, a good secondary. I think they're gonna add depth. Not necessarily the smartest move, but I think he's just so talented that you can't pass up someone of his talent falling to ninth and justify not taking them. Yeah, for me with this pick, I'm going Micah Parsons from the Penn State, the linebacker. I think there's a few needs along the defense. Uh, I did have Sertan and Parsons. I was kind of tossing both of them around with this pick. I have him going Parsons because I think cornerback-wise, they feel like they're somewhat decent there, and I expect them to make a run at some free agents. They're going to be out there. There are some bigger-name guys out there, Patrick Peterson, Richard Sherman. There's some veterans they can make a move for. So I have him going linebacker, putting Parsons with Josie Jewell, uh, the Iowa linebacker. I think that would be a good pairing. And Micah Parsons as well, he can be that blitzer off the edge, kind of not obviously hand-in-the-dirt rusher, but when you start to load the box a little bit, kind of like you see with Devin White, just so quick and explosive, being that extra blitzer and getting pressure on the QB. I think Vic Fangio will like him a lot and use him as a chess piece. He's always had kind of a chess piece on his defenses. When you look in San Francisco, he had Navarro Bowman and Willis where he played kind of all over. And then Alton Smith played every position on the defensive line. He liked to have fun there. Then with the Bears, you have Khalil Mack, who he moves up and down the defensive line. Linebacker position, he always had Dane Trebath in there. So I think adding Parsons there gives you that centerpiece of your defense and linebacking core. I think Vic Fangio will like that a lot. Now we're going to move on to the 10th pick in the NFL draft. It's going to be the Dallas Cowboys. Lots of question marks there. Dak Prescott, will he be back? What do they do at 10? For me, I have them going tight end. The best tight end in the class is Kyle Pitts. He's just a fantastic overall talent at the tight end position. He's got great speed, good, uh, good. He has good blocking as well as pass catching. He's not a crazy good route runner, but I think he can still be a good player as. At the tight end position, which is a question mark for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, for me, the Cowboys always seem to address their offense and they always look to add that big weapon like they did with CD Lamb. And I get it, you can't pass on CD Lamb with that type of value. But at some point, they have to address their defense. And I agree with you, I don't think they'll address the defense there. I think they're going to want something else like a Kyle Pitts, who is so much fun to watch. But for me, I have them going with Patrick Sertan, the corner from Alabama. He's another lengthy corner. Some people consider him the best in the draft. Some think Farley are Farley is, excuse me. But either way, you have it. A good pick there by the Cowboys. When you look at their secondary last year, it was a struggle for them to stop the pass. They gave up a lot of points. Jordan Lewis, Trayvon Diggs, Anthony Brown, Daryl Worley, and Chidobe Awuzie. Awuzie going to be a free agent, so now you're going to be missing a corner. 
Jordan Lewis, he plays well at times. Diggs, just the rookie from Alabama last year, he showed a lot of bright spots. But adding Sertan with a young Trayvon Diggs, get them back together, both from Alabama, I think that'd be a good duo for the Cowboys and a cheap secondary. I think that's something Jerry Jones will really like. Now on to the 11th pick in our pre-free agency mock draft. It's the New York Giants. Who will they be taking? I think they have a lot of problems on this roster, but and maybe it's not the correct position to take, but Micah Parsons, I think he's fallen too far to avoid taking him because he's at this point would be the best player in the draft for me. So I have them taking Parsons helping at that linebacker position, and I think he could do some special things on that uh, Giants defense. Yeah, for me, I have them going with your last pick. You had the Cowboys. I have them going with Kyle Pitts. And Kyle Pitts is so fun to watch. And he's a guy that I really would love to follow the Niners at 12. Just kind of that chess piece. You put him all over the place. Kind of Kyle Shanahan uses that positionless football with Kittle, Debo, uh, Brandon Ayuk, Juszczyk, Jordan Reed. He likes to do a lot of fun things with that. Now, when you look at the Giants, yes, they have Evan Ingram, but he's going to be a free agent here in the next, I believe it's next season. And he's really not been successful like you wanted your first round tight end to be. Kyle Pitts is a guy that he's just an offensive weapon. You can line him up by the backfield. You can put him at tight end. If you really wanted to, you could put him at wide receiver. And he could get open against NFL corners. I think he can play anywhere. And it's going to be very interesting to Dave Gettleman and the Giants as they're looking to build around Daniel Jones for at least one more year. Even if he's not the guy, Kyle Pitts will be a top weapon for the Giants QB in, in the future, whoever that may be. With the 12th pick in our pre-free agency mock draft, the San Francisco 49ers will be on the clock. A team with some question marks as well. Had a Super Bowl a year ago, but now there's questions at the quarterback position. Will they continue with Jimmy Garoppolo? How do they help rebuild this defense if they're going to be losing some free agents? Which side of the ball do they address with this pick? I think they address the defensive side of the ball. You talked about a lot of pieces leaving in free agency. You have Richard Sherman, who just how he's talked on free, on uh, social media, it seems like he's it's kind of a foregone conclusion that he's out of San Francisco. Jason Verrett may or may not be staying. So I have them taking a uh, cornerback, Patrick Sertan from Alabama. He's just a great blend of speed, size, and the ability and to play the position. He's great in press coverage. So I think he'll be a fantastic addition to that 49ers defense yeah I think Sertan would be a great addition to the defense obviously you need to go cheaper moving forward bringing in Sertan to play opposite Emmanuel Mosley I like that quite a bit for me I think the biggest question mark the 49ers offense is what's going to happen with Trent Williams there was talks in week 17 before the final game they never got anything done they redid his contract when they traded for him to give him a little bit more money up front because he did miss a season, didn't get a full payday. And then by redoing that contract, they also agreed to not give him the franchise tag. So if they can't come to terms on a deal, he's going to walk out the door. Now, they didn't give up a whole lot to get him. Just a fifth-round pick last year, third-round pick this year. For an all-pro left tackle, that's a pretty good deal. But you could be stuck in a position where you now have to add a tackle, and that's what I have them doing here, going with Rashawn Slater, the tackle, 
a lot of people have started to become very high on Rashawn Slater because his ability to play inside a guard, also a tackle, he's very versatile, and he's athletic. That's one thing Kyle Shanahan's going to love. He loves athletic tackles who can move and get out and lead block. Joe Staley does it well. Trent, Trent Williams excuse me, might be the most athletic tackle in the league with his movement. And now Rashawn Slater stepping in, I think that would be a great addition to this Niners offensive line. If they decide to run it back with Jimmy Garoppolo, they have to protect him. You cannot have him off the field if you want to be successful. When he's on the field, you're 24-9. and When he's off, you're a lot worse. So why not protect him, keep him healthy and on the field? And if you do re-sign Trent Williams and decide, okay, I still want to go with Slater here, put him at guard until Trent Williams retires, or if Mike McGlinchey's going to be a free agent in a couple of years, gives you a lot of flexibility upon that offensive line. I just love the pick there at 12 of Rashawn Slater. Now going to 13th overall, it is the Los Angeles Chargers. Great pick they had last year with Justin Herbert. Can they re-get some magic again and re-pick another star? Who do you, who do you have them taking? I think they do pick a star. It's just he's not going to be super flashy like people love and like we saw with Justin Herbert. I have them addressing the offensive line, which is definitely something they need to address. They don't want to get their quarterback, franchise quarterback, Justin Herbert hurt. I have them going Christian Derrissaw. Now, you mentioned Rashawn Slater, and I think he has a higher ceiling, and he's more versatile because he can come inside and play that guard position. But Derrissaw is just, I think the floor is higher. He's a great, reliable starter, and he's going to come in and be a starter day one. He has great awareness and good, really great upper body strength. So I think they're going with Derrissaw with their first round pick. Yeah, and for me, I think offensive line's a need for the Chargers. But in my draft here, I have Slater, and I also have Sewell gone. I think Derrissaw could be a pick there. I think that's a realistic option for them. I have them addressing the defense. The defense is also not so great for the Chargers last year. It wasn't terrible. They have good edge rushers in Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa, but they're banged up a lot. The secondary has a lot of veteran names in it. Chris Harris Jr., Casey Hayward, Derwin James, banged up. I think they add to their secondary. I I have them drafting J.C. Horn, the corner from South Carolina. And the reason he's the third cornerback off the board for me is because he opted out and didn't play this season. Because if he would have played, you would have seen how good he is. Some people have him ranked as cornerback one. And it's it's funny to see right now all three of those cornerbacks have been ranked one, two, and three in any order you want to put it. So the Chargers getting J.C. Horn there I think would be huge. Old secondary, bring in some young talent, a little bit of cheaper talent. So when Chris Harris and Casey Hayward free agents, you can let them walk. And you're just adding to that defense. Your front seven's already good, so why not add to the back end? That's going to lead us to our next break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to finish our NFL mock draft with picks 14, 15, and 16. Then we're going to get into some NBA talk here. Some players being snubbed from the All-Star game. Did they deserve to get in? And who would it be over? Stay tuned. Welcome back to Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer. And we're going to go ahead and finish up our mock draft here. When we left off, we were at pick number 14, and that's the Minnesota Vikings. Where does Mike Zimmer and his squad go with this pick? The Vikings have a 
a lot of problems on that team. I think defensively is somewhere they need to focus on, but Kirk Cousins needs a cleaner pocket, more protection. When he drops back to pass, he's the third most pressured quarterback in the league. So just based off who I've taken off the board already, I'm going uh, Rashawn Slater. The ability to move him inside at guard, outside at tackle, move him all over, the versatility is something I think is very attractive about him. And the ability to have him be a day one starter is something the Vikings are going to love. Yeah, I think the Slater pick there, if he's on the board, Minnesota absolutely has to take him. And with my pick, I have them addressing the defensive line. Edge rusher specifically, because when I look at they let Everson Griffin go, and then Danelle Hunter, who was hurt, he's going to be a free agent here pretty soon. And, well, he got the big deal, but they've been rumored to be looking to move on from him pretty soon. And if you need a edge rusher, okay, none have been taken yet, you can get the best one available. I have them going with Quiddy Pay from Michigan, and he's a guy that I'm not a huge fan of, but some teams are. And I think Minnesota would be a team that thinks they can bring him in and get the best out of him. He's more of a power rusher, doesn't have much speed to his game, and I think that's something he needs to develop at the next level. But Minnesota has a chance to help him develop that with their secondary. That's It's not bad. They need to re-sign Anthony Harris. And then Harrison Smith, obviously, is going to be there. Corner-wise, it's kind of off and on with their cornerback play. You never know what type of Vikings defense you'll get. But I think Pay helps them add to that pass rush if you keep Denell Hunter or not. Next pick we have here at number 15 is the New England Patriots. Bill Belichick need, desperately needs a quarterback. I know in your mock draft, he doesn't have many options left. Who do you have the Patriots going with? Yeah, he he does not have many options, so they don't go that route. route excuse me. I have them taking who you just picked, Quiddy Pay, a great edge rusher. Not a super big position of need, but they struggled to get pressure when they were rushing four sometimes. So I think he's going to add depth and eventually become a starter there. Yeah, I think Pay makes a lot of sense there. They do need to help on that defensive line. Their secondary is fantastic. Gilmore, J.C. Jackson, but they need some pass rush. I like that pick a lot. I have them. I had one quarterback slip here, and he won't fall this far. A team will move up and go get him. But this is no trades here as we're still very early on. I have them going Trey Lance here at 15. Trey Lance is a guy that before the COVID ended his season, he was a it was Trevor Lawrence and then it was him, and it wasn't a question that he was the second best. Now he's dropped down to third, even fourth on some people's list of QBs. So for me, the Patriots getting Lance here, he has a lot of ability similar to a Cam Newton, and it kind of ties into my Cam Newton situation earlier. Patriots can re-sign Cam to a one- to two-year deal, let Lance sit behind him for a year or two, and then let him take off. I think that's the best scenario for Lance. Wherever he goes, I don't want to see him be the day one starter. I want to see him have some time to develop because he hasn't played a whole lot of football. And when he does, it's at North Dakota State. So I'd like to see him take some time, learn NFL offense, and have a chance to be successful because he has all the intangibles. He's athletic. He has a rocket for an arm. 
And for me, that's my favorite type of quarterback. It reminds me a lot of Colin Kaepernick, just the bomb for an arm and very athletic with it. So I want to see Trey Lance be successful, and hopefully Josh McDaniels can get a little more enticing with his offense and help him out. Now with the 16th overall pick and our last pick here in our pre-free agency mock draft, we have the Arizona Cardinals. They have obviously some question marks on the offensive line, defensively. Where do they go with this pick? I have them going to neither of those places, not offensive line, not on defense. I have them, just because he's fallen so far on my draft, Jalen Waddle. he would be a fantastic option across from Hopkins. It's just the speed he has there. You've already noted speed as speed receivers coming out of college are a little risky with how injured they can get. But just even if it's his first season, one season of him across from DeAndre Hopkins is going to be fantastic. Yeah, I like that pick. It reminds me a lot of Dallas last year with C.D. Lamb. It's a lot of talent. You can't pass on that. And the thing I like about Waddle is, yes, he is a speed-oriented receiver, but he is a little bit of a bigger build than a Devontae Smith, than a Henry Ruggs. And I like his ability to get separation a little bit more than those guys. So I think that's gonna that would be a great pick for them. And for me, I had them addressing the defense there. Chandler Jones is a guy who's fantastic, so underrated. But with this cap space going down as much as it is, the Cardinals, very close to that cap number, might have to look to get rid of a guy like Chandler Jones, older in age, to just clear up some money. I have them looking to the edge rusher from Georgia, Aziz Alojuari. For me, Alojuari is a very enticing prospect. I think if you have some of these teams that need edge, looking to trade back, he's your guy. And I think we could see him go earlier than 16 because he's going to be a guy that rises up draft boards. He has some power to him, but he also has that speed. And for me, on an edge rusher, that's one thing I love to see is that they can switch from power to speed. When I see very good edge rushers, I look at guys like Miles Garrett. He's so good at that. He can be very quick and bend around the edge, but he can also bull rush. That's what I see here in Aziz Lojuari. Both having both those ability, but also the speed around the edge. Not all these ends can say that. Personally, for me, he's my favorite edge rusher. Um, a lot of people have Quiddy Pay and Gregory Rossu above him. Not me. I have a Lojuari, and uh, I have the Cardinals going there, I think. Possibly have to lose Chandler Jones. And even if you don't have to lose Chandler Jones, Hassan Reddick is going to be a free agent. So adding in another edge rusher is going to be key for them. That concludes our pre-free agency mock draft. Next week, we will do picks 17 through 32. Like I said, no trades. And we will go. We will test how good we did early as we will change a post-free agency and then also come back for our draft night special the night before the draft. Now we're going to move into the NBA Damian Lillard snubbed as a starter from the All-Star game. He won the coaches and players vote, but lost out on the fan vote, and that's why he was moved to the reserve spot. What do you think about that? Do you think he deserved to be a starter? I think he deserves to be a starter with how talented he is, but looking at who is starting for the West is tricky. You have LeBron James, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Nikola Jokic, and Kawhi Leonard. I don't know if there's anyone on that team I want to replace 
with Damian Lillard. I mean, it's it's the All Star game; it doesn't really matter. But I'm I don't think I'm putting him ahead of anyone else on that team. Maybe Luca, but then you lose some of your size, so it's it's tough. But I I like him coming off the bench there. Yeah, for me, I'm a big Damian Lillard guy. Uh, I think he should have been a starter, and he did win the fan and player or the player and coaches vote over Luka Doncic, but he did not win the fan vote, and that's what put Luka into the starting lineup. And for me, I'm personally I'm riding with Damian Lillard. When you look at the size matchup in the game, then you could say okay maybe Luka would be the better decision there. But for me, All Star game, I want to see Damian Lillard out there. He's so exciting to watch. For me. I think he's put a stamp on the league. He's so fun to watch when you see him in the postseason. Makes so many big plays. Has buzzer beaters all the time. And he has some of the most iconic playoff moments. His buzzer beater to beat the Rockets. And then, obviously, his buzzer beater to beat the Thunder, where he waved off Paul George and Russell Westbrook. He is just fantastic. And it's not a shot at Luka whatsoever. But Damian Lillard almost averaging a whole point more from the point guard spot. And we've seen some huge performances from this season. Luca's played great as well, but he's considered to have a little bit more of a down year. He's got going as of late, but his start for me was a little bit more down than what we expected from him. So I would go with Lillard, but it's also pretty close. I don't think it's huge like most people think it is, but I do believe Damian Lillard should have been in the starting lineup over Luca. And now looking at it, Damian Lillard kind of said how it didn't really mean as much to him. He's just kind of wanting to play basketball, win a championship. That's his goal. Does the All-Star game even mean all that much to the players anymore? No, not really. I don't think overall it meant that much to begin with. Like, it's nice to be recognized as a talented player, best at your position, best for whatever. But accolades don't mean too much. And... You know, I think we've seen that epitomized in the NBA by players not really wanting the All-Star game to happen at all. And I agree that it shouldn't happen, but back to the original question, does it mean that much to players? Not really. Yeah, I'm with you. I I don't think it does. I mean, obviously a guy like LeBron James, I think it does mean a little bit more to, and he didn't even want to play in it this year. And when I look at LeBron James, he's the guy that I think he now has the record for most all-star games appearing in. And with LeBron, he played in an era where the all-star game was a spectacle. It was so much fun to watch. Everyone wanted to participate in it. It was Michael Jordan versus Kobe Bryant. It was LeBron James versus Kobe Bryant. That's what he played in. And now it's just kind of first one to score 150, 200 points. First one to do that wins. So I'm not a huge fan of it I don't think it means all that much especially when a guy like Damian Lillard isn't getting a starting recognition I I don't think it means all that much to players anymore and now speaking of LeBron James a little bit here the Lakers now are 0-3 without Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder they are playing tonight but with those two out of the starting lineup they're 0-3 with losses to the Nets the Heat and the Wizards what do the Lakers need to change in order to stop dropping these games while AD is going to be gone? He will be gone to the All-Star break. And we talked about we're not worried because we think LeBron James can help carry this team. 
but what do they need to change in order to stop dropping these games, especially against the Heat and Wizards, that they need to be winning? I think they need to kind of speed up their game. Most of the time I talk about, you know, slow down the game, get rebounds, take possessions. I want them running and gunning in transition. And that's a little worrisome because LeBron is not that type of player as much anymore as he's gotten older. So I think maybe he's he's not going to take a back seat, but he's going to have to be more of a passer in that situation, uh, moving the ball and facilitating more than scoring, which is kind of the role he's taken on as he's aged. He's still a fantastic scorer, but he looks to make the extra pass now. So I think they need to just kind of get the ball moving more and run in transition more. Yeah, when I look at this Lakers team, one thing for me that sticks out, LeBron James is almost close to a triple-double in all three of these games that he's missed. And from the three-point line, to start this year, he was very successful for me. He was up over 40%. Now he's dropped down to 35 after performances where he's 2 of 10, 1 of 8, 1 of 6, 0 of 5. He needs to start getting that three ball back again. I think that's going to be key for this Lakers team. And also, one thing I really want to see from this Lakers team is no no more, okay, Anthony Davis is gone, but we're going to rely on some other people like Mo Harrell to step up. I don't want to see that anymore. I would like to see this Lakers team step up with LeBron James. It's interesting because he is playing 38 minutes a game now, which is not something I want to see from LeBron at this age especially this early on in the season. But these are no longer games you can afford to drop if you want to keep up in this East without getting a poor seed. So for me, I want to see LeBron James be the offense. I want to see him play as if he was in Cleveland without Kyrie again, where it was just, okay, hop on my back, we'll get you there. This is only going to be a couple weeks, so they can get by with that with while they drop some games. But I don't want to see that Lakers need to try to keep up with that one C with the Jazz. They've started to drop a few. So I want to see LeBron take over. I want to see him be the guy. I'm going to take the shots, and I'm going to be the guy who scores 35, 40 points a game. I just need some good depth play from Mo Harrell, Wesley Matthews, Kyle Kuzma, and even Alex Caruso. I think Caruso needs to play a little better, too. And now, looking at it, missing Schroeder and AD, both of them have impacted this team. For you, who is bigger that they are missing. Obviously, Anthony Davis is the big name and top five player in the league, but do you think it's Anthony Davis or everything that Schroeder does for this team that they're missing more? I think it's everything that Schroeder does. Anthony Davis is obviously a top five talent. He's just a fantastic all-around player. Defensively, offensively, he can do everything, and they miss that for sure, but you but Schroeder is just kind of the unsung hero, the guy that, not necessarily the glue, but the icing on top of the cake. That, that's a bad metaphor. No, <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to say. But he, he kind of makes things run a lot smoother. They could be winning with AD, but Schroeder makes winning easier. Yeah, I, I do agree that Schroeder makes the winning a lot easier because he does so much. He's a very underrated addition that the Lakers made this offseason. He's one that no one's really talking about, but he's played fantastic for them. For me, it is Anthony Davis. They miss him more because when Anthony Davis and LeBron are on the court at the same time, I believe their efficiency is like plus 17 
it's incredible when they're on the court. And would LeBron and Schroeder probably win these three games? Probably, and they would might still drop the Nets game. But for me, Anthony Davis went out there. This Lakers team is nearly unbeatable when they are out there together. So I think they really miss that because they've learned to play with that mentality that, okay, we have Anthony Davis, we have LeBron James. When we need to go on a 15-0 run, here we go. They can do it. And Anthony Davis out there frees up everyone more defensively. So now when you look at LeBron James, he's not going to get as much attention because you have to focus on Anthony Davis' scoring ability. It allows LeBron to be a true scorer as well as a true facilitator, which I really believe is when he's at his best. It's when he's facilitating the offense and has that elite score with him. And now looking at a team that the Lakers have lost to, and that's the Brooklyn Nets. They've swept both L.A. squads without Kevin Durant. And we, were t- we talked about the Nets last week. And we talked about, are they the best team in the league? Are they not? Can this team win with all the injuries they're having? Right now, they're playing fantastic. Now, they did get away with a call there that is called an offensive foul on Kawhi Leonard. What do you think about that call? And the Clipper, the win over the Clippers, the very end, it was push off, but it was close, and they called it in the Nets' favor, and Kawhi's bucket didn't count. Did you agree with that call? I do not. Uh, the NBA has like said that they have deemed it a correct call. I think that's just them kind of covering for themselves. It's Harden's feet aren't set, so it's not a charge, and there's no real push off. And you can see if you watch the clip, you can see uh, Harden kind of really selling that, throwing his hands in the air in a very flop from kind of like around 2010 when that was really big. Uh, so I'm I'm not a fan of it, and it, it changed the course of the game. So anytime a call that's either way changes the course of a game, I'm not a fan. Yeah, for me, I didn't like it either. Um, it was such a good game to have it end in that fashion. Ugh, I, I didn't like it very much. And when you look... When you look at this Nets team, James Harden is playing fantastic, and that's not a shock because James Harden is really, really good, and he's done this before with the Rockets. And Stephen A. Smith actually yesterday on his show he does, I believe it's first take, he said that James Harden right now is the best player in the NBA. And why not going to go that far with it, I think we're seeing him do what he did in Houston. He just now has a true elite scorer with him with Kyrie Irving. When you look at this the wins that they had, obviously one of which against the Lakers, banged up without Schroeder, without Anthony Davis. Does that win in this sweep against the LA squads because of that win, does it make you change your mind a little bit about the Nets? Because I know we talked about they're not the best team in the league. Does them beating the banged up Lakers make you think, okay, Harden's the best player in the league and the Nets now the best team? Uh, No, it doesn't. Harden is very talented, but I don't think he's the best player in the league just because of his lack of defensive prowess. Defensively, he can be decent when he puts in a lot of effort, and that's when he puts in a lot of effort defensively. So that's my detraction from him. The Nets can be one of the better teams. They just have to be fully healthy, and it's... 
it's kind of a struggle because you have those three incredible talents, uh, two top 10 players and probably a top 15 player in Kyrie Irving. But the depth and the defense and the lack of rebounding are major question marks. And I think this is a great uh, kind of league experiment, so to speak, of can a team where you bring in three superstars and have very little depth, can they win? Yeah, with for me, I'm with you. Harden, not the best player in the league. I'm not going to give anyone that title of best player in the league until LeBron James is retired or he is 50 years old. I'm not willing to give that away. LeBron James, he really does it on both ends. And while, yes, they have dropped a couple of games here, I wouldn't say it's because of him. He's played fantastic along the way. And do does these wins change my mind? Yes, but not that they're the best team in the league. I kind of put them in my ranking. They were kind of more of like a six, five to six. That's where I had them sitting. But with those wins, for me, I think Brooklyn is by far the best team in the East, by far. And when it comes to the West, I I could see a finals matchup against anyone in the West go to seven games and then possibly come out on top. They're that good. And I think when I rank them now, they're up into that two or three category for me. They're right there with the Jazz, right there with the Clippers and Lakers. They're in that mix now. So they're impressive wins. And it was led by James Harden, obviously, but Kyrie Irving played fantastic too. When Kevin Durant comes back, is James Harden the clear-cut number two, or where do you rank him within these three? This is kind of a complicated question for me because I want Harden not to be my second option as scorer. But I still want him to have the ball probably the most. It's a little confusing. I want He's the best passer out of the three, out of those big star players. So him having the ability and the ball in his hands at most of the time to facilitate to KD and Kyrie Irving, that's what I want. So that might mean him being the number two scorer or the number three scorer. And I'm honestly okay with that because he's making it easier for his teammates who are superstars. Yeah, for me, it's so tough. I have them both above Kyrie, but I think when KD's back, Harden's going to be that true scorer, and KD is going to settle into that second role. And I think that's going to be tough on Kyrie Irving. I don't think he's going to like that whatsoever. He likes the idea of being the two. Obviously, he was with LeBron. Now he is with Harden. But now being the three, uh, it's going to be tough. And it's going to be interesting because this is the first time we've seen three true scorers all come together on a big three. When you look what Jordan had, it was Rodman, the rebounder. Pippen, he could score, but also had all the assists. Jordan was the true scorer. You look at Miami, Bosch was the rebounder. Then you had Wade, was clearly the number two. He was more of a facilitator. Then LeBron James, the dominant scorer. Then you go to Cleveland. LeBron was a scorer and also more of the assist guy. Why Kyrie was kind of the, I guess you could say, true scorer. He was one getting up most of the shots. LeBron was just more efficient with it. And Kevin Love was the rebounder. All three of these guys don't fit into any category except scoring. And James Harden can kind of go into the assist category, but he's best known for his elite scoring. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And now, last thing we'll talk about here before we go, 
can all this last once Kevin Durant's back? Can they keep up this hot start that they're on, or is it going to start to fall off a little bit trying to get all three happy? I think it just depends on the ego. Can these guys keep their egos and their big personalities? Can they continue to mesh as they progress deeper into the season? If they can keep the chemistry together and they can keep playing well together, they're going to be fine. If things start to, they rub each other the wrong way, something happens, there's some issue, I think this could go south real quick. Yeah, I think this is going to be like a really cool one, two season type deal before everything kind of goes away. And I think they'll get a championship in that little window where they're all together. And if they don't, I think it's just a wild, wildly bad experiment. Like it should end up in a championship and anything other than a championship is not worth it. So that's going to conclude this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on social media, please give us a follow at KLA underscore UC on Instagram and Twitter. And give us a like on Facebook at Unsportsmanlike Conduct. That's all we have for you. Thanks for listening and good night.